0: Good morning, everyone. Kids are, there we go. I got three people. Yes. I think Lamb was one of them. See, I hear you. Appreciate you. Um, Morning again. I'm excited to be with you this morning Um, as we get ready to get into the word. uh, My prayer is that, you know, that as we sit with God's blessing, that we actually feel God's blessing here and now. Um, This Sunday is Palm Sunday. Um, It's not just about the cute little processionals. Uh, Palm Sunday is commemorating Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Um, It's a good reminder for us because it's a global celebration, um, which then unites us with our sisters and brothers the world over. It's a global celebration that is, is beautiful in how it shows up in all these different places. Across the world, it also marks the beginning of Holy Week. So for example, in Egypt and, and Ethiopia, the Orthodox and, and, and Coptic people still refer to this as Hosanna. They don't call it Palm Sunday. They actually take that ancient word and they call it Hosanna. And they wave palms, yes, but they even use the palms to make a crucifix. Some of them make it a ring that they'll wear for as long as it lasts or ornaments uh, to put around the house to celebrate Jesus' coming. Um, in Italy, the, the Catholics are not only embrace the, the palm, but they'll, they'll use olive branches, right? They'll use olive branches, but their different distinctive is that, They'll take the olive branches after they wave them, after they wave the palms and olive branches. They'll actually stick it on a mantle or somewhere on the doorway or somewhere in the house for a year, again, to celebrate Jesus' triumphant entry. I have a friend this week who's visiting in Guatemala and, and Antigua. And she was struck there because they start a week early. You know, we're starting Holy Week today, but this. It's, it's almost like all of Lent is a celebration, which is different for me, right? Lent, I feel like I need to be glum, right? But for them, it's a celebration. What are we celebrating? Well, specifically to Palm Sunday and this week, they call it Semana Santa, right? And what they celebrate is the processional. And so you have different groups, again, it's, whether it's evangelicals or, or Catholics or, or Pentecostals, you have different groups who organize these processionals because to them it's a celebration of not just Jesus coming, but the actual journey, right? The journey towards the cross. In, in my home country of Liberia, we don't just have the kids who march around for Palm Sunday. Like, And if we're in Liberia right now, we we'll say, everybody, now that we're done, right? We'll get our palms and we'll go walking around the neighborhood. As a congregation, we would all go, right? Because we're celebrating the journey not again of just Jesus coming, but of us going too. We're celebrating and commemorating not only that we're lifting up our Jesus, but that he's worthy of our praise, worthy of our lives, and he enacts us or or at least empowers us and calls us to go out and wave those palm branches too. But here we just do the children and that's okay too. All right? So what's fascinating to me, though, about Palm Sunday isn't just how it's celebrated in all these different places. What's fascinating to me is that it goes across traditions, whether you're Orthodox, Coptic, Catholic, Pentecostal, Anabaptist, you celebrate Palm Sunday. But it also goes across time. It grows across saints who've come before and it will go across saints who are to come. But what I think is most beautiful about Palm Sunday is that, yes, you have this story that appears in the Gospels, but more than that, Jesus is at the center. In fact, Jesus is what you would call the lingua franca, right? Because if you go to Guatemala for Semana Santa, it's very different than being in Monrovia for Holy Week. If you go to Harrisburg for Holy Week, it's, it's very different than being in Alexandria, Egypt for Holy Week, right? So, so what are the things that holds it together? It's Jesus. Lingua franca is basically common language, right? A lot of people who study language will say it's it's the base language or the bridge language. If you have two people who speak two different languages, right, it's finding that middle ground language that helps them to communicate with each other. And so what I want to think about this morning or one of the things I want us to think about is how is Jesus our lingua franca? And you see this in scripture all the time, right? We are separated from God, we are the enemies of God. We are far and living away from God. Who is our bridge language? Who is our bridge person? And so what's beautiful about Palm Sunday is that everyone is trying to pronounce Jesus as king. So our first main question becomes, in my life, here and now, how am I living to pronounce Jesus as king? How is Jesus the lingua franca, the bridge between me and God? And then because he compels us to go, how am I the lingua franca between Jesus and my world? That's part of how we live with Jesus as king. Palm Sunday also represents our our beginning of our transition from from Lent to Eastertide or or our Pentecost. In Lent this year, we focus on how it's a walk and a journey with God, asking God to hold on to us as we hold on to God. It's a a celebration of, of today, Palm Sunday, but I want us to do it The way Jesus did it, knowing that tomorrow's coming too. One of my favorite authors is a guy by the name of Clint Smith. He's brilliant. And one of the things he talks about a lot in his work is the simultaneity of life, right? It sounds really, really big, but you'll get it. I promise, right? And I love this because when he mentions simultaneity of life, what he means is that we often have to hold a lot together at once. Joy and sadness. The past and the present and the future, hopes and dreams, but on a world on fire, right? So in all his works, you see this theme. His first book is a poetry book called Counting Descent. And, and in this book, he writes about how I, as a young black man, are experiencing black death at the hands of authorities, but also falling in love with my wife. So the poetry gets mixed up in that. And his second book is called How the World Was Passed, and it won a bunch of awards, won everything, I think. And in that book, he looks at how do we live in a country that, yes, it's been good for so many people. So many people have come, and so many people still come, and it's blessed them, and they've been able to do better. But we also are a country that killed natives and enslaved black people. What do we do with that? Simultaneity of life. And his latest book is called Above Ground. This one's my favorite because it's about fatherhood, right? It's about how do I engage my kids with this world on fire, how my kids center and ground me. Simultaneity of life. And I think that's important to us. Because all of us are living with the simultaneity of life. You're sitting here this morning, but your mind might be somewhere else. You're sitting in this space, but your heart might be with someone else, right? We are always engaging in this simultaneity of life. But when we go to this story, when we go to this text, I want us to keep in mind what Jesus did. Yes, we're celebrating today, but not at the expense of knowing that tomorrow is coming. We have wonder, we have joy, we have awe. But we also sit with fear, with despair, and catastrophe. Celebrate today with an eye on tomorrow. If you have your Bible, turn with me now to Luke chapter 19. I'll be reading Luke 19, 28 to 44. Again, this is one of the few stories in the Gospels that appears in all four Gospels. So as a kid, I was like, well, it must be important, right? And it is. And in Luke's version, he's going to explain this triumphal entry from his point of view. So Luke 19, starting at verse 28, we also have it up front, so you can follow there as well. Starting at verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a cold tide there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, say, the Lord needs it. I promise you don't do that to anyone else. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the coat, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the coat? They replied, The Lord needs it. Only works one time. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it, and he went along. People spread their clothes on the road. When he came near to the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. The days will come when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you so much for our son, or your son, our Savior, our Lord, Our Messiah, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we thank you for preparing him, for empowering him, for enlightening him, for filling him up. For bringing him not only into this world, but preparing him to go out to serve this world. And Father God, we thank you for your plan for our salvation. That you so loved us, you sent your son. That you so loved us, you used him as the bridge to bring us home. That you so loved us that you chose him to be our savior. And Jesus our Christ, we thank you that you're so much bigger than anything we could dream or imagine. Any plan we can make, any preparation we can rely on. We thank you that you came, even though we missed it. We thank you that you were king, even though we would kill you as a common criminal. We thank you that you're Lord, even though we sometimes live as lords of our own lives. So we pray now that you may help us to submit so that we can be prepared by the Spirit, to submit so that we can live by the plan of God our Father, to submit so that we can be peace bringers to our world like you, our peaceful king, has been to us. In your holy and precious name, amen. So the setting of Palm Sunday is, is, is Passover. And I always like to give a little bit of context. I feel like it, it helps us understand what's going on, right? I think a lot of times we think of Palm Sunday, we, most of us who grew up in church, we flash to Sunday school, right? And you have maybe one little hill, you know, maybe a couple people walking around. I want you to get the scale of what Jesus is doing, the bravery of what Jesus is doing. At this time, Jesus is going to Jerusalem. What do we know about Jerusalem? Well, one, it's crowded with people for Passover. In fact, Jerusalem is important from the beginning of of, of Israel being established to this day. And back then, Jerusalem represents not only the city of David, but the seat of Roman power. As the city of David, simultaneous life, right? It's this harkens back to the day of like when we were top of the table, right? Our greatest king, we were the center of the world, the center of everything that we knew. But now it represents Roman power. Because the Romans were smart. You know, when they conquered you, they didn't wrap out all your systems, they just made all your systems submit to them and pay taxes. Right? So they would set up, it's like, oh, this is your capital city? Cool. That's now our capital city. Welcome to the team, right? This is your leader. Cool. He now works for me, right? So what the Romans represented was we're gonna take the systems already in power and use it for us. But in Jerusalem, this city of David had now become known as Roman power. But it was also where the spiritual and political center rested. Because what also was in Jerusalem? The temple, the heart of the Jewish faith. Now, you can argue it should have been Yahweh, right? You could have argued it should have been God. But practically, the temple represented, you know, now that they've lost the promised land or or now that they've been spread out all over the world, the temple represented their connection to God. What else was in Jerusalem? The Sanhedrin, their version of the Supreme Court, right? So even though the Romans were in power, because they didn't outstrip all the systems in place, they allowed them, for the most part, As long as you don't break Roman law or you pay your taxes, right? For the most part, you could govern yourselves. What else was here was the festival center. So whether it was the the festival of the weeks or or, or in this case Passover, people would come to Jerusalem to celebrate. And who were these people? They were actually people from Asia, from Africa, and from the known Middle East. I think that's important. We talk about diversity a lot here. We talk about racial justice a lot here. And the reason we talk about it is because it's always been God's idea right? Like, from the beginning, when they're coming from Jerusalem, you can look at whether it's Josephus or biblical scholars, you will see that Jewish people are coming from the heart of Africa, from parts of Asia, from the Middle East, so God's people has never been defined by what you look like or what race you are, but what you believe and who you submit to. And how many of these people were there? Well, a lot. Josephus has this this, this one line that we use, and we're like, well, he said it must be true, right? But he claims that on Passover, you could expect something like 250,000 lambs to be slain. That's a lot. I mean, that's probably good eating, right? The priests were probably like, we'll save up for a little bit, right? Right? Now, I know for some of those who don't like that, I'm sorry, but that's just what they did. I'm not saying I would approve of it. I'm just saying that's what they did. 250,000. Why is that number important? Well, each lamb was supposed to represent a family, right? And depending on how many people are in your family, generally speaking, it's about 10 to 20 people for each lamb. So if you do quick math, you realize that on Passover, there's at least 2 million Jews coming into Jerusalem. Like, hold on to that for a second. Today's day, you know what the population of Jerusalem is right now? 970,000. Not even half of that, right? And and so you have double that and more are coming into town. When we say Jesus is making a triumphant entry, lose the Sunday school idea that, oh, he's on a little donkey, hey. A few friends say hi. There's 2 million people in town when Jesus shows up. Wow, there's a bounty on his head, but we'll get to that part. So you have 2 million people who are in Jerusalem. Why are they there? They're there to celebrate Passover, Yahweh's liberation over Egypt, right? When the angel of death came and the angel of the Lord came and they had to put blood on the doorpost. And when he saw the blood, he let them go. He passed over. The lamb's blood over the door was their salvation, pointing, of course, to Jesus, the lamb of God, whose blood leads to our salvation, but I think even more than the reminder of what it is, Passover was about rituals for the Jewish people. Everything down to the celebrations, to the, the services they would have, to the meals they would eat, because it was very important to them not only to remember, but to pass on the story. If you have time this week, I want you to just Google an article on the Jewish Seder, right, setter. Seder, Seder, I was like, that's not coming out right. I was in New York this week. All my Jewish friends are going to yell at me, you know, Seder, you know. Just research every aspect of the Seder meal. It points to something in the Passover story. And and so the reminder to us as, as people who believe in Jesus is that it's not just enough for us to know the story. It's not just enough for us to remember the story. But are we actively passing on the story? In everything that we do, are we actively passing on the story? Because that's what was happening at this time. So when God comes in, when Jesus shows up as king, it's arguably the most important time of the Jewish calendar. When you think about God's preparation, nothing happens coincidentally. If there was a time you were going to announce that you're the Messiah, Passover would be a pretty good time. If you're going to have people from all the world over, two million of them in town, that might be a good time to announce, I am here. But what's fascinating is how Jesus enters into Jerusalem. More than likely, Jesus is not only announcing his his, his kingship or the kingdom, but he wants to embody the kingdom. Because you can argue his whole life up to this point, his entire ministry to this point has been saying the kingdom of the Lord is here. The kingdom of the Lord is here. The kingdom of God is like this. Now he's saying the kingdom is here embodied in me. But what's fascinating is the trip that Jesus took is the same journey that the pilgrims would have taken into town. And it's a long one. Again, my thinking of Palm Sunday was like there's a main street, you know, and he walked down the street and maybe 10, 20 people clapped. Hosannas. It was cool, right? But this was a long, long journey. In fact, some people might start near Jericho, some of the lowest places on all of earth. And they would march not only towards Jerusalem, but they'd have to go up the hills of Jericho, the up, down, the up, down, the up, down. And then once they get halfway, they might just reach sea level. But they had to keep climbing because there was another big mountain for them to scale over. And then before they even got to the Mount Isa, so they had to keep climbing, keep climbing. And it's a reminder to us that yes, Jesus has announced he's coming, but the journey towards Jesus might have low points, might have mountains, might have hills upon hills upon hills upon hills. But are you still marching towards Jesus? And so that's what's happening here, and Jesus takes that same road, and when he gets near towards Jerusalem, he sends his disciples to get a colt. He had friends who prepared the colt ahead of time. You see the planning of Jesus here because he has to go and set all of this up, right? And so, so in that culture, as they're listening to the story, because they weren't all there, not all 2 million, maybe 2 million were there, but it was probably a couple million who weren't there, right? And as they're hearing the story, they would have heard, wait. He's taking the pilgrim road. That's interesting. Wait, he sent two people ahead. That's what kings do as emissaries, right? Like, we sent messengers. We never sent one of them. I don't know why. We sent two, right? I say we like I'm a king, but I'm a child of the king, so I'm going to go with it, right? Like, you sent two people as your messenger. That's interesting. And then they would have gotten to what did he send for? A cult that had never been written. And Mark actually also, which we believe is maybe the first gospel written, he starts off saying it's the same thing. Yeah, the cult had never been written. Why is that important? Because those listening to the story or those actively participating in the story would have been like, well, this reminds me of Zechariah's prophecy, that when the Messiah comes, he's not going to come on a war horse. He's going to come on a symbol of peace. So again, we might have a cute little donkey in our story. But to them, it would have been like, wow, this is an announcement. And what was the announcement? I come as the prince of peace, not to bring war. I come to bring shalom, not to bring violence. And yes, to bring that shalom, I will take upon the violence of mankind, the sin and suffering of mankind. And so Jesus sends his disciples. They go and they bring the colt. And they know what's going on because they're messengers, they're ambassadors of the king. So they know what's going on. So when they get the colt, they take their cloaks and they put it on. This was a messianic symbol, a messianic gesture. And so as Jesus sits upon the cloak, everybody who can see knows what's going on. And in the Passover crowd of maybe 2 million, I don't say all of them were on the road, but at least, you know how when something's happened in the neighborhood, you know, nosy and you go outside, right? Picture that, right? So as Jesus and his little group is going down the streets, they hear more and more, and they start singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. What's fascinating to me is that the verse that Luke chooses is really, really interesting. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. That's part of Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is, is a part of these six psalms between 113 and 118 that the, to this day the Jewish people still celebrate and they call it the Hallel, the praise. And so they sing these psalms or they read them in, in, in synagogues and they read them in temples over the time. And so what they're singing here is a celebration of not just Passover, but the Messiah coming. That's why the Pharisees were so mad. This was reserved for the actual Messiah. How dare you sing it about Jesus? But they're singing the Hillel, which means that in this long coronation, they're singing psalm after psalm or song after song, pronouncing Jesus as king. This reminds me of the same thing that happens on the cross, right? When Jesus says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We read it as like, wow, God turned his back on them. Like, man, he's so lonely on the cross. Until you realize that Jesus is singing a song too. And the the, the writer only chooses one line from the song, right? Like, they just feel like, i write one line, they'll know what I'm talking about, right? And the rest of us are just like, we don't know what you're talking about, right? But that one line, my God, my God, why is thou forsaking me? If you go back and read the whole psalm, you'll see that it is about the suffering servant, the suffering Messiah. But it ends with God's triumph. It ends with praise. So even when Jesus is dying on the cross, even when he feels forsaken, he still sings the praises of God because he knows what happens in the end. Simultaneity of life. I may be suffering now, but tomorrow's going to come. And so when they're singing, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they're singing the halal that, like, we've been waiting for generations, the Messiah has finally come. So they join in, they put their cloaks on the road. John adds that they wave the palm branches and they're singing praises to Jesus. And they're praising him, not just because he's their king, not just because he's the Messiah, but what does Luke tell us? They're praising us because of the miracles they had seen. So they're not just caught up in a moment, right? It's not just that it was nosy and like, oh yeah, let's sing. Praise the Lord, right? Everybody join in, right? They're praising him for the work he's done in their life. And they're doing it joyfully, freely, and loudly, which comes back to us. Am I living in a way that I'm praising God joyfully, freely, and loudly for the miracles he's done in my life? Because that's what they're doing here, too. They're praising joyfully for the miracles he's done in their life. They're pronouncing him as the king of all Israel. They're saying, hey, there's peace in heaven now because the Messiah has come here. And this is what angers the Pharisees. We're here for Passover. We're here for something serious. We're here to remember what God has done. How dare you pronounce this ragtag guy as the new Messiah? You're taken away from God's thunder. You're taken away from what Yahweh has done. But what they missed is that Jesus is ushering in God's new exodus. That Jesus is the, the lingua franca, the bridge builder, the, the sacrificed lamb. What they missed is that Jesus came not just to be a king in power, but a king to lay down power so that we can be set free. I have a friend, um, and it, it cracks me up to this day because I don't know what she means. So I just interpreted myself but she loves to, to send me notes and say, be encouraged, right? And it's tricky because it's like on one note, so some days I read it, I'm like, be encouraged. That's good. I feel encouraged, right? But then some days she'll spell it, I encourage, and I'm like, I don't know what this means. Am I jumping into courage? Like, what does this mean? When I thought about Jesus coming into Jerusalem this week, I thought about how he was be encouraged because John tells us that right before there's a bounty on his head. Meaning that they're going to kill him. You know, I think we, 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 we kind of simplify the story of Jesus is like, well, Pilate gets mad and then he rouses it up and then they kill him. No, no, no. They wanted to kill him before. You read through the Gospels, they want to kill him multiple times before. But now there's an actual bounty on his head. And instead of cowering, instead of hiding, instead of running... He chooses the most important day, basically, in the Jewish calendar when the most people are there, and that's when he shows up and says, I am king. The courage of Jesus doesn't begin on Calvary's tree. The courage of Jesus doesn't even just begin at Holy Week. But the courage of Jesus is that even with, with everyone trying to kill him, he still fulfills the role that God had called them to. And then you have this tricky ending because he has this great line, right? He's just like, hey, if they don't praise me, even the stones will praise me. And if you remember when we started in Lent, right? Remember that the devil says, like, just command the the, bread to, to be, uh, the stones to become bread. And to me, it's this, it's this flip, flip, right? Because he, the Satan wants uh, Jesus to, to kind of, like, manipulate nature to, to, to feed his own hunger, right? And Jesus is like, no, no, we got to live by the bread of the word of God. Like, we got to live in the whole entire law. We got to fulfill what God calls us to do. But now at the end, he says to the Pharisees, "Right, if the people don't voice their praise, the stones will voice their praise." I remember, one time I heard a preacher say, "Like I don't want no rock praising the Lord more than I am," right? I never bent more Pentecostal in a service before. After that, like she said, "Now I, like, I gotta go," you know. We gotta no rock stealing my joy, you know. But the point that Jesus is making here is that I have come to lay down my life, yes, but I've come to do it to set you free. And in setting free, your work now is to praise. So how are we living to praise the Lord? But then he ends, and I think this is how it sums up, because for years I'm like, Luke, you could have just ended right there. The story's good, right? Happy ending, kind of. But he has these few verses on Jerusalem. And I think this is important because when we focus on Holy Week, sometimes we focus on how Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. He knows he's going to die, right? And we, we, we even get through not just, you know, Monday, Thursday and, and the, the Last Supper and, and Good Friday and Gethsemane. But you know what Jesus also knew? And he still went through with all of this. He knew that some people would never believe. He knew that even though 2 million people are in town and maybe thousands are praising his name and exalting him, he knew they would still miss it. The simultaneity of life, right? For anyone else, this would have been the high point, right? Like who wouldn't love, you know, 100,000, 200,000 of your closest friends praising your name, right? Like I don't care how humble you are, that would make you feel good. Right? Like, yeah, this is like if it's like 10 people, you're like, yeah, I'm humble. A hundred, yeah, I'm humble. A couple hundred thousand, you're like, I'm the man, right? That's just me, I'm being humble, right? Amen. But the thing that's fascinating to me is in the midst of this, in the midst of this high point, Jesus not only doesn't take his eyes off the cross, he goes back and looks at the city, and he realizes people have missed the salvation still. And this passage isn't just about, oh, Jerusalem will fall. It's about I've come, I've done it all, I've given it all, and still you don't believe. So on this Palm Sunday, when we say Jesus comes as king, I want us to just hold on to these three or four things. One is that in this moment, where you are right now, God has planned this moment for you. And I don't know if you got a cult waiting at home, right? I don't know if you got messengers coming to you this week. I don't know if the Spirit's just going to reveal something strongly on your heart this week. But I know that where you are right now, God is working something out in you, something out for you, and something out through you. I'm not saying if, and especially for those people who are struggling and things are hard, I'm not saying you're struggling because God put you there. I'm just saying that where you are right now, God is still sovereign. God is still good. God is still working. God will still see you through. The second thing I want us to hold on to is that Palm Sunday is a story of obedience. It's obedience of Jesus to submit to the Spirit. It's obedience of Jesus to do the Father's will. But look at all the other stories of obedience in here of those two disciples, right? who are going to be the messengers. And, and when I was a kid, I was just like, are they stealing? Like, this was just tricky to me, right? Like, they was just like, you just go to somebody's house, you don't even ask. Like, like, the owners show up after they untie. Did you catch that part? Like, it's just like, I mean, I know Jesus sent you. Like, that's probably the best excuse you'll ever have, right? Like, like what are you doing? You're stealing. Well, Jesus sent me. Cool, <laughs> you know? You're good now, right? But nevertheless, they had to go, right? They had to go and, 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 and trust that what Jesus said was true, which is something we also have to do, right? They have to trust what Jesus said was true, and they're obedient. And how about the people who, who prepared the cult? Because a lot of times we just think it's like, oh, it was tied up to the porch, right? But this is a cult that had to be young enough but strong enough to hold Jesus. It had to be never ridden before, and it had to be perfectly ready at the time that these disciples are going to show up. And how about the obedience of the disciples? That they recognize, there's a lot of times in scripture where they miss stuff. And that makes me feel good, I'm not going to lie, right? Like, there's sometimes Jesus explains stuff, I was like, I get it. And you get to the end, it's like, well, the disciples didn't understand. I'm like, yes, score. <laughs> there's a lot of times they miss stuff because they're human, right? But they actually get this before a lot of us get this. Right away, they're like, oh, this is about the Messiah. This is about, like, this is his coronation. And yes, what about the millions of people who are in Jerusalem who are being obedient because they were there for Passover, And I don't know how many were actually at the triumphal entry. But what about those thousands who welcomed Jesus as king? God has invited us to obey, which means that we have the choice to say yes or no. So when you look at your life, right, are we living lives of obedience to Christ? And there's no in-between here, right? You can't be like, well, partially yes, You know, I got like a 57, I'm working on that 65, right? It's either yes or no. And and, and then the last one I want us to kind of hold on to is Jesus has brought peace. Do we accept it? Do we accept it enough to praise? It's not enough for us to just know that God has brought peace. It's not just enough for us to feel God's peace or to appreciate God's peace. Remember what we learned from the Jewish folk who were the first people who followed God in this sense, right? In the Old Testament, right? They were called to remember, but also to retell the story. So if you know God's peace, if you know Jesus is Savior, how are you living in a way that you're not just knowing it, feeling it, experiencing it, but actually telling it and passing that story on? Because all of us in this room are gathered this morning on a Palm Sunday to say, yes, Jesus is king. The king is coming, the king is here. But has he come in your life? And for some of us, that's the, the, the actual decision to follow Jesus, right? Like if we haven't made, if you haven't made that decision to follow Jesus, that's the primary, that's the first one. Like, Jesus, I want you to be king now. Forgive me of my sins. Be my savior, be my Lord. But for those of us who've made that decision, that's the everyday question. Is Jesus king of me today? Is Jesus king of me in this way? Is Jesus king of me for the rest of my days? I'd like to invite up Pastor Ryan. Um, we're going to kind of close or move towards the close of the service um, by taking in communion. Hopefully, as you came in, you're able to grab um Some of the elements, if you weren't, raise your hand. I think there's a couple deacons in the back. If you raise your hand, we'll be able to to pass out any of the stuff that you need. Um, In the next moments, as we share in communion, again, this is celebrating the new life we have in Jesus. We ask that you are a follower of Jesus. We don't require that you're a member of this church, but that you are indeed a follower of Jesus. Again, if you need elements, just raise your hand. We'll be happy to give that to you. Um, As you have them or receive them, we ask you to wait. Um, as we go through the liturgy together. Again, the table of the Lord is for all who believe, for all who have received Jesus Christ as Lord.
1: We now invite you to come to this table, not because we must, but because we may. We come to testify not that we are perfect, but that we sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciples. We come not because we are strong, but because we are weak, not because we have any claim on heaven's rewards, but because in our frailty we stand in constant need of heaven's mercy and help.
0: We come not only to remember his death, but also his resurrection and promise to return.
1: Now that the supper of the Lord is spread before us, let us lift up our minds and hearts above all selfish fears and cares. Let this bread and this cup be to us the witness of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit.
0: Um, Let us join now for the additional communion reading. It will be from Hebrews 12. um, And we'll alternate as we go. We are pastors. You are congregation. We'll do this together. We have come not... We have not come to a mountain that can be touched, burning with fire, or to darkness, gloom, and storm.
1: We have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven.
0: We have come to Jesus, the mediator of the Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. One way we worship with reverence and awe is to share in the Lord's Supper. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and blessed it, broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that even with suffering ahead of you, You chose us, that even when you were uplifted high, you knew that many would never believe, but you still chose us. We thank you for walking that long road through the hills, up sea levels, up mountains, to reach Jerusalem. Lord, we thank you for not just your bravery and courage, but that you chose us. So now we celebrate only because you allowed yourself to be broken and beaten, that you suffered and died, that your body was given for us. So we take this bread, remembering that in your brokenness, we have been healed. In your suffering, we have been set free. In your death, we have been given life. In your name we pray, amen. My sisters and brothers, this bread which we break, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Take and eat this bread, remembering he was born to be our savior. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Feed on him in your heart and be thankful.
1: In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, which in the Jewish Passover feast is called the cup of blessing. And he told his disciples, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you for your willingness to shed your own blood on our behalf, the blood that cleanses us, cleanses us of our sins and washes us clean. Uh, blood that is a covenant between us and you and, and uh, blood that also unites all of us together that we are defined not by um, who we are from an earthly stance, but from who we are in you. That is your blood that that flows through our veins, that we, we are, are made new and we are made like you in and through your sacrifice, Lord Jesus. It's a, um, a mystery that may we, we never stop um, being fascinated by and, and pressing into, Lord Jesus, as we remember and celebrate your sacrifice. Thank you for washing us clean. Thank you for making us new um, to your praise and glory, Lord Jesus. Amen. My brothers and sisters, this cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ?
0: This cup of blessing which we bless is the communion of the blood of Christ.
1: Take this cup, remembering that he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it together and be thankful.
0: Um, At this time, I'd like to welcome up the worship team, um, any of the pastors in the room to come up front. We'd love to pray for you. Um, This morning, as we celebrate Jesus coming as king, we'll be reminded of the need to to not only say Jesus is king, but to live lives of praises of Jesus as king, to live lives of submission of Jesus as king, to live lives of fullness as Jesus is king. And the way we do that is to keep him at the center. Let's stand and sing together.
2: at the center of it all jesus at the center of it all from beginning to the end it will all
0: This week as we um, celebrate Holy Week, um, I, we heard in the announcements and we have a bunch of different things for you. And we pray that you come out to as many of these as you can. Um, I think as we track through this week, as you leave, I want us to kind of hold on to these things as Jesus hold on to them. We, we He enters into Jerusalem and he's announced as king, knowing what's ahead, right? He's going to have this last supper, this meal of, of celebration, this meal of, hey, this is all of us together. We're family. This is good but also at that meal, he's going to be betrayed. He's gonna have a meal where he's gonna wash the feet of his disciples, the God of this universe, stooping down to wash the feet of the disciples, teaching us about the importance of serving one another. But more than washing the feet, he's gonna lay down his own life. So if you're available, we'd love for you to come out on Monday, Thursday and celebrate that service with us. It's, it's something we do once a year, maybe we need to do more, but it's this reminder of us that it's not just saying we look like Jesus or we wanna be like Jesus, it's actually being like Jesus. And then Friday night, we have stations here in the sanctuary, and it's going to be child-friendly. And and as we think about Gethsemane and Good Friday, and that march towards the cross, right? It's an invitation. It's a little bit more different, experiential. You read a verse, you know, then there's like a response to it. I'd like to invite you to come out to that too, right? It's it's a great opportunity to worship a different way. I don't want us to just rush through and get to Easter and the celebration, but, like, let's take the time to go through the days, to go through the movements. And on Saturday, if it's possible, I want to challenge you. Maybe set aside 15 minutes if you can, 30, an hour, right? But I want you to set aside an hour just to pray. I don't have anything specific I want to tell you to pray about, but just pray. Because I think before we get to Easter, we must remember that Jesus went down to the depths before he could come up. And that Holy Saturday is his dark time on the earth as Jesus is down and Jesus is dead. But even in that, God is with them and God is with us. And I want us to, to dedicate this Saturday just 15 minutes if you can, 30 minutes if you want to push it, an hour if you want the gold star, not from me, but from Jesus himself, right? But I want us to approach this Holy Saturday, just not as any regular Saturday, but to actually just spend time praying for whoever you want to pray for, whatever you want to pray for, but just dedicate that time to prayer. And then Sunday, we're going to celebrate the resurrection. Amen? You guys sound really excited. Wow. I've never met a more excited bunch for the resurrection. We'll work on it. We got a week. But as we come back for Resurrection Sunday, we will remember that our God who comes as king, lays down it all. That our God who's exalted as the Messiah gave it all up for us. That our God who loves us, compels us to love too. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you so much that you, Lord Jesus, were sent for us, for the world. That you come today, but also for tomorrow. That you came to do the Father's will, and to teach us that we can do the same too. That you came for the world and now send us into it. That you are the bridge builder, the peacemaker, and now call us to do the same. So Jesus, our King, prepare us for service of you. Give us a little hint of your plans as we trust you step by step. And most of all, help us to be bridge builders, lingua franca, connecting the world that doesn't know you With you, God, now as we depart, we give our lives to you. We give all of ourselves to you. We give everything that's under our breath and influence to you because we remember that you are indeed the King, the King who has come, the King who is here the king who will come again. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God, the king of kings. Praise you, Lord Jesus, our savior and Messiah. In your holy and precious name we pray, amen. God bless you all. Have a good week.